Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Welcome to the Stargate Archives. I'm all by myself this week, so I'm going to watch a show I haven't seen before. Legend, starring Richard Dean Anderson and John DeLancey. Legend was created by Michael Piller and Bill Dial back in the mid-90s. It aired on UPN, starting for the 18th, and finished August the 22nd, so uh, only 12 episodes for the first and only season. The show was filmed in Tucson and Mescal, by Gecko Film Corporation and that company should be well known to you as it is power behind Stargate alongside MGM obviously Richard Dean Anderson and the Michael Greenberg collaboration I'll be watching the pilot episode Birth of a Legend taken from the DVD which was released January the 5th 2016 right no messing about we'll jump straight in The episode opens up with a shot of a, a shaggy dog and some typical western star music by Ken Harrison. You may know his work from Melrose Place, MacGyver, Hotel, Fantasy Island, very busy composer back in the day. As is the norm for a westerns, you see some cowboys running into town, dust being kicked up by the horses, and in a big bold font, legend. It won't be any surprise that these are the bad guys, the James boys, riding into town to rob the Gallatin Bank. And they've got a good old western moustache on. Classic look. Surprisingly, you can hear a lot going on in the bank. There's not much soundproofing around these days. Little, little hoopla going on. And of course, shots are fired. The people in the town, you see some guys going for guns. A guy comes flying backwards through the... Plate glass window, classic stuff. The bank robbers are seriously under fire from some of the townsfolk and the sheriff and his deputies. And, oh, hostage time. One of the guys makes a break for it, grabs a little girl, drags her back, jumps on the horses and they're out of town. To be honest, it looks such a small town, you don't, I'm not quite sure why they've got a bank worth robbing. Either way, the boys ride out of town, nobody shoots at them, they're riding into the desert and... You get the most most bizarre shadow following them. And it's a glider. <laughs> this is what, what you've got to be prepared for. Actually, it looks pretty good. They've made it look old-fashioned, looked like a bird, the plumage, the paintwork on it. Uh, the little girl, oh, it's magic. But no, they know it. Know it is. Nicodemus legend. Should be in Abilene. But they can deal with that. Guns out. Open fire and click. Close up of a pencil as the lead breaks. And we see that this is all all in a novel. Dime store novel. Being written by, well, the hero of the hour. Ernest Pratt, played by Richard Dean Anderson. And of course, as any novelist knows, you don't kill off the money, <laughs> the money-making character. You never do that. And of course, sometimes it, you've got to jump through hoops to make your main character survive. 
that's true in books, television and movies. And depending upon how good a writer you are, that's how it becomes believable. Blimey, RDA's got a bloody great big moustache as well. <laughs> well, someone off camera's brought down a half-empty bottle of Old Raven whiskey. Uh, Hard-drinking <laughs> action-adventure novelist. Breakfast, as he says. Right, so we're in San Francisco, 1876. There's your time frame. And in walks Harry Parver, greeted by Ernest. Harry's played by Bob Balaban. Very familiar face, huge resume. You'll definitely uh, recognise the bloke. He's playing the part of the kind of the straight-laced city bloke. Uh, obviously works for the publisher. A little upset that Ernest isn't complying with his obligations. His last novel really only covered its expenses. And he's got to make a public appearance and he's, he's there to manage him. So much so that <laughs> Ernest being a little bit worse for the wear. <laughs> you don't really see Richard Dean Anderson being picked up by anybody in or out of character. <laughs> but he's slung over this little guy's shoulder and carried out from the saloon. Nicely done. Although they did miss the opportunity to bang his head on the door as they left the public house. <laughs> with, with the drunk Ernest saying he never touched her. <laughs> What? A little matter of a warrant for your arrest. What? Never! Where? <laughs> never touched you! <laughs> now we're getting some of the plot of the episode. There's a warrant out for Nicodemus Legend. It's a bit strange because he's, he's a fictional character. Ernest doesn't really know what the hell's going on. He's never been to Colorado, but there are charges out. And the publisher is a little upset, so I think we're getting... Getting ready for the groundwork being laid for Ernest to go to Colorado to find out what's going on. And of course, the myth might actually be to become the man. Or the man become the myth. One or the other. I am not, nor will I ever be, a man who disturbs livestock. And so Ernest makes his public appearance as Nicodemus, complete with coonskin hat, buckskin jacket with Native American braiding, he looks a prat. <laughs> well, Ernest Pratt, yes, obviously. <laughs> I almost feel sorry for him, but as the agent says, the coonskin hat is going in the uh, catalogue, as well as the hair clippings, because there are many female fans who want a piece of Nicodemus. Capitalism at his best. Ernest does a runner, gets his flask out, and is approached by Miss Sullivan, a lawyer from Colorado who needs him to return, because the farmers that he helped needs help again. Nicodemus Legend? The one and only. My name is Catherine Sullivan. I'm terribly sorry to intrude on your busy schedule this way. Not at all. Your smile enhances my day. Bit confusing for Ernest. He finally manages to get her to understand that he is not Nicodemus Legend. He's just Ernest Pratt, author. But no, she doesn't believe him. She thinks the warrant has scared him. He's keeping his head down. <laughs> it's definitely going to turn out that he's going to Colorado. And then he's inappropriate. And she throws his drink in his face. This is not Jack O'Neill. Although truth be told, there was a few moments when he was dealing with the restaurant owners where the sarcastic charm of O'Neill shone through in legend. We're not going to see that though for another couple of years. And when you think about it, if Legend had been a success, he might not have played Jack O'Neill. 
Stargate may never have existed without the impetus of Richard Dean Anderson, or it had gone through with a, another actor. Might only have lasted a season or two. Sometimes failures lead to successes. We now move to Sheridan in Colorado. A wide thoroughfare going through this town. It looks far more prosperous than the earlier town we saw that the, uh, that the James boys robbed. Obviously not as built up as uh, San Francisco though. Okay, that's bizarre. We hear some explosions in the distance and then we get pulses of static electricity on the metal implements, knives, badges, belt buckles. As the sheriff walks out his office, makes a comment about, oh, he's trying to make rain. So something weird going on in this town. The stagecoach pulls up and Ernest climbs off, accompanied by a dancehall girl, shall we say. You get the feeling that Ernest likes the ladies. He looks around, a young lad comes up to him, a skeeter played by Jared Paul. Bit of exposition, Professor Bartok, who's doing these experiments in the far distance, he's responsible for the explosions and the lightning bolts, but that's for another time. Ernest asks, uh, <laughs> can you put me in the direction of the sheriff? What was the name, son? Skeeter. Skeeter, can you direct me to the sheriff? Well, you see that building there? Big sign says, Sheriff? Yeah. That'd be the general Being area. Be in that general area, yeah. would it? Thank you. He's made a friend already. And I'm sure, much to Ernest's disapproval, everybody seems to recognise him as legend. I guess in the novels, he's described himself reasonably accurately. His basic size, weight, looks, how he dresses. Complications, though. Not what you want. Oh joy, Ernest, is th Ernest thinks he's got all this worked out. He approaches the sheriff, he's got affidavits from various saloons and casinos in San Francisco, swearing he was, he was there when he'd been reported in Colorado, as the sheriff points out. The biggest difference is that there's a load of people in town who were all sober and they all swear that he was there. The very fact that he's got a picture of his mother with the little baby Ernest on as proof of who he is. <laughs> it it doesn't don't really matter. The sheriff is convinced he's Nicodemus legend and he, uh, he arrests him at gunpoint. A picture of me with my mother, signed Mother Pratt. That's me on her lap. The next morning, Ernest is in jail. Telegraph lines to San Francisco are down. And he gets a visitor, Vera Slaughter, played by Stephanie Beecham. A well-known British actress, crossed the pond and starred in many American series during the 90s. Colby's and Dynasty are two of the biggest. She's a ranch owner who had her water supply diverted by legend. Allegedly by legend. And she looks like a woman who normally gets her way. Granted, she's either riding a horse or a buggy, but always be wary of a woman with a riding crop. Mr. Legend. Hello. It is a pleasure to meet you at last. May it be the first of many pleasures we share. And then Councillor Sullivan comes in. Cue a little bit of music. Two women obviously don't like each other, but legend's been bailed, and Ernest is, is not going to turn down a chance to get out of jail. Oh dear. The local small-time farmers have uh, clubbed together to bail legend out. He's still a bit mystified because they, hand on heart, swear that he was there the night the river changed its course. 
course, a little little girl comes up and says, well, maybe he can't remember because he, he had a, a bad fall. Of course, that's in one of his novels. And as an author, he's delighted that someone's actually read one of his novels. Read them all. Nicodemus legend never lies. Maybe you're still hurt. You took a bad fall in Legend and Cherokee Joe. You've read Legend and Cherokee Joe? I've read them all. Really? I've got a feeling that despite himself, Ernest is going to help out. At the sight of the river's course change, Ernest discovers something magnetic. Yes, folks, magnets. If you're not a fan of Stargate, you won't get the reference. <laughs> Anyhow, from where he's standing, he can see the lightning spikes off in the distance, Professor Bartok's home. And off Ernest goes to pay the professor a visit, because... Well, Bartok is a Hungarian name, and most of the homesteaders are from Hungary. And he's been a friend to the people. A bit of a coincidence, really, isn't it? And I've got to admit, this is a pretty spectacular entrance by John Delance's character, Professor Bartok. Inside his laboratory, huge Van de Graaff generators, I believe they're called. CGI lightning, probably a bit too dangerous to have the real thing on set. And he's sitting beneath the... <laughs> Torrent electricity with a teapot and or maybe a coffee coffee pot. I've been expecting you. <laughs> Smooth. The professor comes clean. He was the one that changed the course of the river using sound waves to reshape the contours of the bedrock. He explains how he got people to see legend using smoke and mirrors. The professor is a bit of a tinkerer, a genius by the looks of it. He's got a, a bread slicer, a toaster, a very, very fancy coffee machine. Very much the Doc Brown sort of feeling. A tinkerer, but a genius nevertheless. And why did he get Legend involved? He wanted a quiet life. He did not want all the people coming around thanking him. So, as written in the books, Nicodemus Legend is the hero of the people. So why not give him credit? Do you understand what you've done? Of course I understand what I've done. Unfortunately, I'm frequently the only one who does. Yeah, well, I'd like to be left alone too, you know. But all of a sudden I seem to be the object of your good sheriff's attention. And your first enemy is the most powerful landowner in the territory, the beautiful Vera Slaughter. Exactly. Sounds like a vintage legend adventure to me. Think of the great book you'll get out of it. We get the perfect example of how clever the professor is when he leads Ernest out towards the back. And he's actually built the Land Rover, the steam-powered Velociraptor that he read about in the novels. That might not actually be what he said, but it sounds good. Ernest is quite surprised. <laughs> I do like the touch, though. He straps himself in and he says, engage. A homage to TNG, no doubt, and a very nice touch. And off they go, driving into town to confess all to the sheriff. I don't think it's going to go well. Two of them arrive in town, power slide in front of the saloon, where the sheriff's having a, a drink with an acquaintance who turns out to be a reporter from back east, trying to figure out if Nicodemus Legend is there as a, a hero of the people, helping out immigrant families achieve the American dream, or maybe as an author looking to boost book sales. Ernest is pretty much manoeuvred into admitting that he is Nicodemus Legend and he did alter the course of the river. At that point, the sons of Vera Sorta come in to, well, make their point. It looks like there's going to be trouble, but 
Oh, he's a talker. He criticizes Legend's outfit. Is this what they're wearing in San Francisco? You look like a girl, you smell like a girl. Is this what they're wearing in San Francisco these days? <laughs> Looks real pretty. And Ernest turns the tables. He tells of a time when he ran into a young man like him who got all his clothes from a store back east, picked out by his mother. Obviously this is true in this case, but not by this bloke. He plays him good. He actually gets past him, gets towards the door until the bloke finally realises probably why he's been sent there, pulls his gun and at that point the professor tasers him <laughs> and he gets thrown across the saloon. Unfortunately, not into the mirror. What's the point of having somebody thrown across the saloon if they don't smash into a mirror? That is a trope. It's a trope for a reason. It looks good. Anyhow, Bartok and Legend get out of the saloon fine, and young Mrs. Lauter is just a little bit embarrassed. It's the next day, and it looks like Ernest has been invited to uh, a get-together by the farmsteaders. Their professor is there, Miss Sullivan's there, lots of dancing, lots of congratulations owe him a debt that they can't repay except by the goodwill and uh, a glass of beer and, and some pie. He has a few words with Miss Sullivan and then they hear the gunshots. It looks like some of uh, Vera's boys are riding past taking a few pot shots at them. What happened? These are bombing shots. Oh good, they're leaving. They'll be back. A range war. Then we jump to this rather large house in the middle of nowhere. Uh, obviously, Miss Lauter's house, her son comes in, he's had a change of clothes. It seems like the, the chat he had with Ernest hit a chord. I wonder what uh, Mommy's reaction will be. Well, no surprise that Mommy isn't very happy at all. She doesn't approve of him buying suits that are made for the general townsfolk. She's also upset that he got himself humiliated in the saloon and embarrassed the family name. He's not half the man that his father was. And he kind of confirms that by storming out. Doesn't quite make it to the door before she calls him back, and then she pleads him back. Eventually he comes back, and she pulls him to her bosom, starts stroking his head, and I kind of have a vaguely worrying thought about seeing it. It's disturbing, to say the least. Until she grabs his hair, pulls him back, and pretty much threatens him. Then kisses him on the lips and pushes his head back to her breast. Yeah, this, this this took a turn. Well, don't you worry about a thing. Mama will take care of this, just like she takes care of everything. And no matter what, I love you. Anyhow, she obviously wants some outside talent brought in, some uh, gunslingers, and we cut back to uh, another farmstead which I realise in broad daylight is the professor's place. It looks vastly different in daylight without the spikes of electricity shooting off into the night. The two men are having a mildly heated discussion about what they have to do next. The professor is banking on the legend of legend being almost enough to turn the tide, whereas uh, Ernest believes, or at least considers that the inventions of the Professor will give him an edge. Together they will be unstoppable, as long as these inventions don't kill Ernest while he's using them. But as he points out, the Professor believes one man can make a difference, and references Alexander Graham Bell, who's working on an invention that 
will cause no end of trouble. <laughs> and again, you close your eyes, you can hear Jack O'Neill in some of these lines. It's very comforting. Ernest wears one of the rigs, sort of electromagnetic weapon, or a giant magnet. Ramos, the professor's helper, draws a couple of six-shooters. Ernest presses his button, and the giant magnet pulls the guns and pretty much everything metal towards him. He does survive, nothing dangerous, but as the professor says, maybe a little overpowered. But never mind, they're on a roll. Cue montage as uh, they dress him and Miss Sullivan. The man's in his underwear. Doesn't seem to bother her though. You've got to have a montage anyway in this sort of show. Especially in the 90s. A uh, fun montage. Especially when we see that they've got the glider. And he's, he's jumping off the roof and landing in a big pile of hay. I get the feeling that we may see that again. Meanwhile back in town the stagecoach has come in. And uh, young Slaughter is meeting his gunslinger. Cope, Silas Slaughter. I cabled you about this. Where is it? Who? The legend, I don't know, is probably out of the laboratory on the outskirts of town. I have your money for you right here. Put that away. What? We're in the middle of the town square. I'd just soon not be seen with you, let alone your money. Yes, sir, I just, uh, I just didn't understand. Well, now you do. When the job's done, you'll pay. Death has come to town. Skeeter makes another appearance. <laughs> what in the hell is wrong with your hair? Doc says I'm allergic to electricity. I love it. He says to him, uh, is that, has he got her first name? And the guy just looks at him. Oh dear. Right, so we're going to get a showdown, a classic Western showdown. I'll be waiting in the saloon. Skeeter arrives at the professor's where we see that they actually are building the uh, the glider, the flyer. So, uh, yep, we're going to see it again. He gives them the information that the gunslinger is in town. Uh, <laughs> Ernest isn't, isn't keen on meeting him. The professor, oh, he'll be there, don't worry, no worries. He'll be there with bells on. And then they get into a little discussion about the merits of dying for something you believe in and doing the right thing. And Jack says, so Jack. <laughs> Ernest says... Dumb. Straight out of the Simpsons playbook. Ah, uh, God, lovely. <laughs> uh, I think he's going to do the right thing. I think he's going to face down this gunslinger and we'll see what sort of uh, toys the professor can give him. Here we are then, the great showdown. And this was one of the, one of the most amusing gunfights you'll never see. The plan was that the gunslinger would be not frightened, but a little careful over Legend's reputation. Unfortunately, he's never actually read one of the novels, so he's got nothing to be scared about. But then he realises, of course, that he doesn't make any money from all these stories he's got. And Ernest keeps telling him, look, you can make a fortune on dime novels. I'll get in touch with my publisher, probably at least $2,000 up front to secure the rights to one of his recent massacres. <laughs> And the guy, yeah, you're right, I've never really considered, you know, putting money aside for, for retirement. Because you never expected to live that long. It's important to protect your back-end merchandising, ancillary rights, overseas sales. <laughs> and the two of them walk out of the saloon, best, best of friends. Much to the annoy annoyance of Silas Slaughter. 
Who does get praised for his nice looking suit? <laughs> great scene, great scene. Well, there's that time in Amarillo when I gunned down the whole Hogan family. Eight all together, including a second cousin is in town for a family reunion. Beautiful. I'm sure your publisher was happy with that, huh? I don't have no publisher. You don't have no publisher? Right, the 10th anniversary Jubilee Parade. The uh, territory is going to become a state. Celebrations all around. Townsfolk are all gathered. And so legends make himself a big entrance in a hot air balloon. The likes of which nobody has seen. Spectacular entrance by the professor and legend along with his uh, little helper who's <laughs> turning the crankshaft on the engine, on the propeller. Everybody seems shocked. The townsfolk, the homesteaders are delighted. Vera Slaughter is aghast. <laughs> she's not very happy at all. Now you wonder what she's planning. She invites Legend to dinner at 8 o'clock at her place. After dropping all the charges, he, with a smug look, says 7.45. And she just grins. Somebody's planning something. Oh dear. We get the two of them at the dining table. They've uh, obviously eaten. He turns down some very old cognac, carries on with his lemonade. He turns down a, a very fine cigar that uh, Vera is slowly rolling between her fingers and licking the end of very suggestively. <laughs> he starts asking her questions. Are you trying to probe me? The night is young. She gets a look on her face, which is priceless. <laughs> oh, this could be fun. And here we have it. Vera lays out her plan. She's looking for a man to join her and create her vision of a Colorado state. He can have a piece of everything she has to offer. I don't drink fine cognac, nor do I smoke fine Cuban cigars. However, if this were a poker game, I'd have to call your bluff. Right now, I figure you're holding a pair of it's a crying shame and I do like that his eyes are drawn to a cleavage <laughs> but nope he turns it down it's been fun he knows she's worried she's concerned otherwise she wouldn't be offering so much for so little the professor figures out that well not <laughs> to be fair the professor's assistant points out that they wouldn't be building factories unless there was a railroad and they figure out that if there is going to be a railroad, they can't see anything wrong with it. So why would Vera be so desperate to get this land? At this point, we get the woman scorned when a few sticks of dynamite are thrown into the professor's buildings and one of the homesteaders is thrown to the ground, badly beaten. The stakes have been raised. Later that night, we find Ernest in the saloon, drinking merrily. He's going to in the saloon until... The stagecoach leaves town, which is going to be the next day. Professor joins him and they have a heart-to-heart. -heart. Professor owning up a little about his problems back east, which drove him west into this new land. Ultimately, the two men agree that they're going to fight. They're going to carry on. And so, hot air balloon to Denver, Colorado, probably to investigate the train and the uh, head officers of uh, Vera's company. Thanks to some judicious use of acid, they get into the safe very easily. The professor, of course, very smart, but maybe not entirely practical, forgets that the safe door still weighs half a ton. <laughs> they find evidence that the senator, the, the governor, has uh, agreed to 
make sure the Transport Commission sign off on Vera's train plans, bought and paid for, bribery, corruption, immoral, unethical. That's what we built this country on. <laughs> but it's not illegal. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the acid is still eating away at the floorboards. <laughs> Guess what happens to the safe now? I wonder if our good friend from the New York Tribune would like an exclusive on the governor's land grab. What do you think? I think that's a good idea. As the governor pulls his support for the train proposal, thanks to, uh, I won't say it's blackmail, but I suppose if you're threatening to reveal <laughs> he's corrupt, it is blackmail, uh, Vera decides to go all in. She sends her son along with his hired guns to start destroying the homesteads. Everybody's fighting for their lives. The last stand, desperate battle. I think we're going to see the glider. I've got to say, it's a bit of a free-for-all. Bodies are dropping left and right and centre. Dynamite's being thrown. People are dying. This is rather violent. Of course, Silas Vera's son, he's there. He's leading the banditos. Oh, finally... Legend and his gang approach there <laughs> in the Land Rovers. They've got the tasers out, they're kicking ass. He grabs one of the young girls, rides off, just as we got in the opening scene. The woman runs up, he's kidnapped, he's taking my baby. Legend is in hot pursuit. Bullet goes into the steam tank, he, uh, he loses contact. Yeah, you know what's going to come next, don't you? And a rope ladder appears out of nowhere. He looks up, there's the hot air balloon. Climbs the ladder, Professor's waiting for him. Great time to use the, <laughs> the electromagnet gun repellent. Just get within 50 feet and press the button. How do I do that? <laughs> yeah, the wings, the glider. But hang on a minute, the last time we saw him do that, he keeps getting shot. This is where his character dies. And as the Professor points out, more likely you're going to crash and break your neck before you get in shot, so no worries. And so Ernest jumps off the balloon, the wings spread out, and he's flying in pursuit of the little girl who's been kidnapped by Silas. As Legend gets closer, the little girl is causing a distraction. The bad guy can't get a clean shot. He's within 50 feet, presses the button, the gun flies into the magnets, and Legend proceeds to knock Silas off his horse, unconscious. He saves the day, the little girl... <laughs> Is delighted to see him. She's meeting her hero in real life, having experienced everything she read about in a book. Yeah, it's okay now, little lady. You're safe. Thank you, Mr. Legend. You're very welcome. Good. Ernie still doesn't like horses, so when Silas's horse starts following him, he gets nervous and starts running away. <laughs> and I guess this is a traditional epilogue. The townsfolk are all in the saloon. Everything seems to be going well. The land deal is off. Most of uh, Vera's investors have pulled out. Silas has been arrested. She's hired a fancy Eastern lawyer to represent him. The gunslinger has got his book deal. Miss Sullivan is fond of the gunslinger, which is a bit annoying for Ernest, but he doesn't. He's the hero. In this case, he doesn't get the girl. He's looking to just walk away into the sunset. You should be walking into that, shouldn't you? I mean, isn't that the way the stories always end? Oh, the sunset. Yep, it's a device of the genre. They have to end that way. Well, they don't all have to end that way. But as the professor says, the story doesn't have to end there. 
Together, signs, adventure, together they can become legends. Legendary, they say. And why not? That is the premise of the series. He is the writer. He can dream up incredible inventions and Professor, he can build them. So, what will we see in the uh, remaining oh, <laughs> dozen episodes? I'm not sure. Will I watch them? Yeah, I think I will. Maybe not today, maybe not next week, but uh, certainly sometime. Uh, I bought the DVD, I might as well watch them. <laughs> see more of the adventures of Richie Dean Anderson and John Delancey in Legend. Okay then folks, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Hopefully next time we'll be back with something more Stargate specific. But until then, if you want to get in touch with me, and I hope you do, stargatearchives.com, stargatearchives at gmail.com. On Twitter, I've retained the at the gatecast handle. We are on Facebook and Tumblr. Uh, but until next time, take care. I've been Mike. Bye-bye. <laughs>